0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is believed. In one of the most dominant displays I've ever seen from the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. absolutely routes L3 3 to nothing in the semifinals of the Nations League tournament. But the spectacle on the field may have been matched or even surpassed by the bombshell news that Greg Burhalter will be returning as the U.S. men's national team head coach for the 2026 cycle something that social media twitter the the u.s national team discourse does not seem too pleased with although it seems like a few of the players on the team uh were politicking for greg to return what are we going to talk about you want to talk about the game first the players the, the performance that was absolutely incredible i mean so many fireworks throughout the night or the returner. I think we'll start with the players, start with the game, and then we'll get into Greg Berhalter at the end of that. All, all that and more on this episode of the Yank Report. What's up, my name is Sam. This is the Yank Report, a show about all things American soccer. If you're into that, hit the subscribe button. And now is a good time to hit that subscribe button because this squad looks pretty damn good. The first time we've really seen them up against a quality opponent in a big competitive match since the World Cup. And... Boy, oh boy, if this is any indication of what's to come, it's, things are looking tremendous. Just one of the most complete performances I've ever seen from a U.S. men's national team. Maybe the strongest lineup I've ever seen. Let's get into it after a word from this week's sponsor. BetOnline is your number one source for all your basketball news, stats, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest match reports for this year's NBA playoffs. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs, from basketball, Major League Baseball, NHL, hockey, golf to UFC and boxing, the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right now from your home. Get into the action today. So head over to our website and use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code believe to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Three to nothing. Tres Acero. I mean, it could have been so much more. The U.S. missed some opportunities on the night. But it was an absolute dismantling of Mexico. Now, albeit it's it, it's a Mexico squad that is one of the weaker Mexico squads that we've seen in recent memory. But at the same time, I mean, you got to give credit where it's due. The U.S. had just the, the lineup on display. The talent that we had at our disposal was just phenomenal. I mean, we had Matt Turner in goal, Sergio Dest at right back, Miles Robinson at center back, Chris Richards at center back, Anthony Robinson at left back, Eunice Musa as I I guess the six or part of a double pivot, West McKinney, Gio Reyna as part of that midfield trio, or maybe a 10, depending on how you look at it. We'll get into kind of the tactics in a little bit. Tim Weah at the right wing, Valerian Balogun making his US National Team debut at Striker, and the captain Christian Pulisic at left wing. You know, tactically, there were some interesting questions coming in. And I think even after this game, I think it's still a bit unknown kind of what the U.S. was doing tactically because it just felt like it was one of those evenings where so much worked that we didn't really have to just really get into an identifiable shape. It just felt like everything was green lit and players were just beating other players one on one and things were really flowing offensively. Let's break down the players individually and kind of go from there. I think that's the way that I want to approach this. Uh, let's start with the back with goalkeeper Matt Turner. Turner didn't have to make very many saves. I mean, Mexico didn't have a lot of uh, great offensive opportunities. I think the big question with Turner, at least in the last cycle, was always about his distribution. And his distribution, for the most part, was pretty fine. Mexico wasn't able to press us to the point where Turner really had to make a lot of uh, tough decisions. Though, for the most part, he was all right. There was one moment where maybe Mexico's best opportunity was a a turnover from Turner with a pass to Yunus Musa that was probably ill-advised. Mexico wasn't able to really do anything with that moment. Overall, just a, a okay night for Matt Turner on a night where Mexico's front line just wasn't really scary. A lot of that had to do with our defensive line. Sergio Dest had a lot of question marks coming into this game, and I think he turned in one of his best performances ever in a U.S. Men's National Team shirt. I mean, his confidence on the ball was absolutely palpable, especially in the second half. It felt like whenever the U.S. came out in the second half, there was a switch that was flipped where they realize, like, these guys can't play with us, so we can just kind of do what we want. And I think we saw that from Dest in that second half. His run to Spring Pepe for the third goal was just an all-time moment for the U.S. Men's National Team, an all-time moment in the USA versus Mexico rivalry, an all-time moment for Sergio Dest. We know that Sergio Dest has some question marks with his club career about where he's going to go moving forward, but the quality that guy has, the comfort he has on the ball... And, and even defensively, I thought he was pretty sound throughout the night. You know, whenever he's confident, whenever he doesn't respect his opponent, whenever he feels like he can do whatever he wants on the field and he's free and flowing, he's such a phenomenal player. It's it's, it's disappointing that we won't have him in the game against Canada, but what a performance that he put on against Mexico. Just absolutely phenomenal. On the other side of the field, Jedi Robinson, I thought had a really good defensive game. There were moments where Mexico kind of threatened down that down Jedi's flank and Jedi just shut people down one-on-one. He, he seemed to always be able to, he had the speed to recover. He had the speed to put himself in good positions defensively. And Mexico just didn't really get anything from him. I mean, Antuna was trying all night, and it felt like Robinson won those on every occasion. On the attack, I, I think that's where Jedi is just not the strongest. He's not going to be able to play those interchanges and kind of move in and out of positions like Dest on the other side or really any of the front guys in the attack. Um, that's sort of his weak spot. I mean, there was one moment where the ball came to him in the final third, and he put in a pretty poor cross, which is uh, one of the big criticisms with Jedis. He kind of just puts in aimless crosses, and this team isn't really set up to cross the ball like that. There's nobody really looking for that. Balogun's not exactly the biggest striker in the world to go up and win headers. If there's a position that that can be upgraded in the U.S. men's national team, it is that left back with, with a better attacker, But until that day comes, Jedi Robinson's defensive performances are going to keep him in this squad. There's just nobody really close to him at this point at that left back position. Let's move on to the center back tandem of, of Richards and Robinson. I think these are two guys that had question marks coming in. Richards with the injury and the amount of playing time that he's had in the EPL this season and Robinson with. Uh, sort of his form with Atlanta United this season, the question marks about whether or not he would be up to being a top choice for the U.S. men's national team. I thought they were both outstanding. Defensively, they were, I mean, in the air, it felt like they won every ball. Their athleticism was on display whenever Mexico would have those breakout moments. Their one-on-one defending, I thought, was phenomenal. They really kept it simple in the distribution. They didn't try to do too, too much. There weren't too many long balls over the top or anything like that. They kept it simple because that's all they needed to do. They'll really be tested against Canada with some of their speedy attackers. We'll get stretched a lot more. We'll be able to see their transition defense. But a tremendous night from the two center backs for the U.S. Men's National Team. Let's move on to the midfield. And, you know, there were question marks coming in with this three-man midfield with Gio Reyna in there. Eunice Musa, I felt like, was... more or less the six whenever we had the ball in possession he was more often the one dropping into that that area that Tyler Adams usually occupies it felt like Weston McKinney had a little bit more freedom to get forward he's a little bit more that box to box and he was moving a little bit more all over the place and Gio Reyna more or less the same although he I think he had even less defensive responsibilities and more freedom to kind of get around and find the game and and Musa could play the six. I mean, he played it pretty effectively. It's impossible to take the ball from him whenever he's in possession of it. And that just took so much pressure off of everyone on the field. I probably, especially the center backs who were just able to get him the ball and he could usually find the right pass, get out of pressure, solve problems. You know, his big weakness is his decision-making in the final third and what he brings to the final third with him playing that more defensive role. We didn't really see him put in those positions. There were some moments throughout the game where he was put in a position to slip a ball in, and he just doesn't have that in the locker at this moment in time. But for a player who didn't have a tremendous season with his club, didn't get a lot of minutes, uh, were question marks about, you know, was he even going to start? He turned in a pretty phenomenal game and and really stayed within himself. I think that was the key to the night is just a lot of guys really stayed within himself and relied on the whole to just absolutely break down Mexico, and and they absolutely did. I think Musa was really able to stay within himself and play defensively because of the performance that Weston McKinney put in, and this was another just classic Weston McKinney phenomenal performance. He was everywhere. He was the heartbeat of the team. He was in every scrum. He was a part of a lot of the attacks. He played the phenomenal ball to spring Tim Weah for that second goal. It's a part of his game that we know he has, but he doesn't get a tremendous amount of credit for if you give him time and space, he can pick out passes. He's one of those players that I think is a high risk, high reward guy. If you keep feeding him the ball, he's going he's gonna to look for those moments and those opportunities to play balls in behind. They won't always come off, but he has the athleticism and the defensive ability to win the ball back if he does make mistakes. But whenever they do come off, they're game-breaking moments. And I think we saw that in the second goal. Now, I, I think the big story is going to be the red card that he received late in the game. It was just it was ridiculous, man. That that scrum just—he was having his shirt ripped off by a crowd of Mexicans, and he throws one of them off, and his arm gets around the neck of an opposition player, and that's what draws the red card. It's like okay, I guess. I mean, by letter of the law, yes, he did touch the other player's neck, and therefore you can call that a red card. But I, I just felt like it was such a ridiculous use of the of the of the rule book there. Disappointing that we won't have him against Canada. Disappointing, but. Uh, a phenomenal game from Weston mckinney nonetheless. So we move on to Gio Reyna and I think Gio Reyna was really a, a player everyone was looking at coming into this game because there's been calls to see Gio Reyna in the midfield throughout all of World Cup qualifying throughout the World Cup and and we're finally starting to see it after the World Cup and and this is the first big test that the US has running that formation, running Weya in that position. There were questions coming in about Uh, Gio Reyna's ability to defend? Is he going to have the defensive presence necessary against quality opposition relative to the MMA midfield or something like that? In this game, Mexico just didn't have the quality necessary to really put that kind of pressure and ask those kind of questions of our midfield. So it it was kind of a moot point. That being said, Gio really, I mean, he put in some defensive work there. He he put in his fair share of tackles. On the flip side, whenever he did have the ball in the buildup, I mean, he's tremendous. He's so calm on the ball. He's able to beat players pretty casually. He's able to find great passes. He's so calm in the final third. Though I think it needs to be said that I feel like there's a lot more left in the tank for Gio Reyna within this squad. I think if you look at a lot of the performances that were turned in against Mexico, I think it was pretty clear which players had a big role in World Cup qualifying and which players just didn't. I think Gio Reyna was one of those players that you know he missed so much time last season due to injury. Um, he just wasn't in the squad, wasn't able to build those relationships and those partnerships. That I think he's a little bit less in sync with what's going on in the field relative to some of the guys around him. So I feel like there is more opportunity moving forward for him to kind of figure it out and kind of and kind of get a part of this attack. I, I'm really excited. About what the opportunities are moving forward with, with this midfield. I mean, think about how many how many minutes collectively we've seen with like Polisic, Wea, Reyna, McKinney on the field at the same time. It's just not that many. So you, there's so much more in the tank for Gio Reyna. He had a really nice ball over the top to Polisic in the 51st minute. Uh, that was just a really nice sequence. He uh, he was really good on set pieces, you know. One of the big criticisms that we've had of the U.S. men's national team throughout World Cup qualifying was Christian Pulisic's set pieces. They just weren't very good. Reina put a lot more balls in dangerous areas. I don't know that we're quite the team that's going to take advantage of set pieces at this point just because we don't have a lot of targets, a lot of aerial targets outside of uh, outside of Miles and McKinney. Maybe Chris Richards, you can throw him in the mix. But outside of that, we're, we're not a very tall team. A, a good performance from from Reina. a solid performance from Reyna, But I just I feel like there's so much left in the tank. I feel like if he gets a little bit more experience with these guys, uh, more time in camp, more time to maneuver and figure out um, what what spaces he needs to take up, I I think this attack is just going to get better and better and better, and I'm really excited for it. And I think really the personification of time in the system and uh, players knowing where other players are going to be and what they're going to do is Tim Weah. Because realistically, Tim Weah I mean, he, he's been playing left back for Lil. Um, he didn't have a phenomenal season for Lil. He didn't score many goals. He wasn't a part of a lot of great attacks. Uh, on paper, Tim Weah should not be as good as he is for the U.S. Men's National Team as he is. But if you watch this team play, time and time and time again, Weah is just one of the best players on the field. He's such a better player for the U.S. Men's National Team than he is for Lil. And I think so much of it is that He's, he's got a defined role. The players know where he's going to be. He is that release valve. He is that player that's going to get in behind. And players just find him with the ball. Sergino Dest finds him with the ball. Wesson McKinney on that second goal finds him with the ball. And his decision-making in the final third is pretty damn good. He plays in a nice ball across the box for Christian Pulisic to finish for the second goal. But throughout the night, I mean, his, his combination play with Dest and when McKinney would drop in over there, or maybe it was Reyna dropping in over there in combination. He's just such a phenomenal player within this system. And he's a player that whenever you look moving forward, like is there going to come a time where it comes down to Weya versus Raina and, and as good a player as Raina is, I mean, it's going to be difficult to take Tim Weya off the field. I think eventually that time will come where Reyna is going to surpass him. But right in this moment, I mean, Weah just served such a great purpose within this this group. Another phenomenal outing for Tim Weah. And I think that brings us to Fallouting Balogun. The debut game for Ballo, And it was a bit of a quiet debut. He, he wasn't involved in a whole lot. He didn't get a whole lot of touches. And I think what I said about Reyna, where you can tell that he doesn't have the minutes with the rest of the team around him relative to some of the other guys. I think that goes just doubly and triply for Balogun. I, I think... There were a lot of moments in this game where I saw Balogun making some really nice runs in behind, but the squad just isn't looking for him. There was a lot of moments where Balogun and Weya made similar runs to similar positions on the field. You can tell that he's a quality player, but he's just not in step with the rest of the guys on the field. Uh, one thing I thought about is uh, line dances. I don't know if you guys do line dances where you're from, but in the South, every wedding, you're going to have line dances and often... There's a line dance where you don't know, and there's people out on the dance floor like trying to figure out the line dance as it's moving. You know, and sometimes there'll be a really good dancer that just doesn't quite know the the line dance and he's trying to figure it out as, as the song's going on. That's what it felt like for Balogun to me. You could see the quality that he has, the moments in the buildup. He actually draws the foul of, that led to the first series of red cards going out. Um, a, a really uh, interesting match to be thrown into for your first debut. Uh, a, a semifinal match against Mexico in a in a, a stadium in Vegas where there's tons of Mexico fans and the intensity is just about as high as it can be for a U.S. Men's National Team match. Uh, I feel like there's so much there in the tank for Faler and Balogun. Uh There's so much more that we're going to get out of this player. I feel like if this team gets some more reps under their belt, especially against a a, a not-so-great opposition where they can really, really... Uh, dial in their movement and and run through their their uh their their sequences that they have practiced and, and be able to find Balogun with those balls in behind. It's really going to change our offense in a dynamic way. To have another player who can who can stretch the defense with Weya is going to be really interesting. And and having Balogun at the tip of the spear for the US men's national team, I think it makes Weya's role a little bit less valuable. I, I think it could be a possibility where if the U.S. is playing Brazil or England or a team that's expected to dominate us in possession and we want to bring in that MMA midfield for a little bit more solidity, I feel like having Balogun's ability to stretch the field will allow us to play Reina as a right wing or a left wing or something like that and not lose as much without Weya on the field and his ability to stretch the defense. But I feel like all that's going to come with time. I think you can see the building blocks there, some of the runs that Balogun made, some of the quality that he has on the ball, the comfort he has moving out into different spaces, but it just wasn't quite there yet. Uh, It's coming. It's coming. I believe it's coming. And I'm really excited about what this guy is going to bring to this squad, but it just wasn't quite there yet on the night. And that brings us to the captain, Christian Pulisic, another phenomenal performance from the young man. Uh, He had so much passion and intensity coming into this game. You could see that he really wanted it and there was a sequence there from like the twentieth minute, where there was three runs where he just absolutely dusted Mexico. That you could tell. I felt like there was a moment in the second half where the U.S. realized that we were just flat out better than Mexico and they couldn't touch us. But I feel like Christian realized that early in the game. He just realized, you guys can't play with me. I am the best player on the field. I am way better than all of you, and I'm going to show it. And there was three different runs where. He just dusted Mexican defenders, just embarrassed them. Of course, there was a sequence where uh, Christian beat everybody and he beat the keeper, but he put the ball over the goal. Um, It would have been an all-time goal for Christian Pulisic, but it just didn't end up that way. He ends up getting the first goal with that wild sequence where Mexico was just sixes and sevens in their box. Uh, The ball's bouncing around. Nobody knows where it's going except for Christian Pulisic, who pounces on it. Puts a left-footed finish to the back post. Just an absolutely beautiful moment there. Runs in karate kicks. The, the flying three ninjas kick uh, of the flag, uh, of the corner flag. Another iconic, tremendous moment from Christian Pulisic. The, the run on the second goal, reminiscent of one of his World Cup goals where he just put his pelvis on the line. Uh, just absolutely relentless. I mean, whenever he smells blood in the water, whenever he sees that that opportunity emerging, He just put in a dead sprint and he beat everybody else to the spot. You saw a few moments in this game, just the pace that that player has. We know that there's club uncertainty for him. We know that he's had a really difficult season with Chelsea. It sounds for all the world that he's going to end up in a new spot. And I just really hope that he's in a position where he gets to play regularly and show the quality of player he is because nights like this, I mean, he was unplayable just a incredible moment for Christian Pulisic. And I think, A moment that's just not getting enough attention is that on the second goal, McKinney and Pulisic got together and did a paper rock scissors celebration where one of them did scissors and the other one did rock to show the dos acero. Like these boys were so confident coming into this game that they were going to beat the hell out of Mexico, that they had a orchestrated dos acero celebration. I don't know if the cameras picked it up. There's pictures of it going around, but just the confidence, the swagger, just the 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 way that these guys just decided we're better than you and there's nothing you can do about it. I think a lot of that was uh was orchest- was was led on the field emotionally by Christian Pulisic and the rest of the guys picked it up. These this was the kind of performance that we we've just been hoping for this player to have um, since he was a teenager. Just step on the field, show that you're the best player. Be that type of difference maker that you can be. He did it last night. An incredible effort. You can't say enough about this guy. Now we're going to move on to the subs. I think there's two subs that I think I really want to talk about. The first was Ricardo Pepe. Another game where Pepe comes in as an impact sub. He comes in and scores. He finishes off the move created by Serginho Dest. Another move where Pepe has a really well-timed run in behind. Initially, they were questioning whether or not it was offsides, but it wasn't. It was a perfectly timed run. And then once he gets in front of the goal, uh, the composure, he had to beat uh, Guillermo Ochoa and put it past him. And, and, the, and the emotion afterwards that, that was expressed, not just uh, by Pepe on the field, but but by the fans in the stands. Of course, a, a lot's being made of the little kid who had the U.S. Men's National Team jersey on with the L-Tree headband, and he kind of took off the headband and kissed the badge. Uh, just a, a moment that I think really was symbolic of sort of the battle for hearts and minds of Mexican-American fans. Uh, throughout the country right now. And the fact that Ricardo Pepe can be so instrumental in this battle and, and what he means to the greater U.S. Men's National Team discussion Uh, Just a phenomenal moment for Pepe. All I can say is, if he keeps scoring goals like this for the U.S. men's national team, it's really going to go a long way to continue him getting call-ups and maybe even earning some starts over Fuller and Balogun, which is not something I, I necessarily thought was true heading into this game. I will say this, though. Pepe is such a popular player that we're kind of forgetting that Josh Sargent had a phenomenal season as well. Josh Sargent led Norwich with goals this season. I think he ended up with 13 goals in the championship. Um, Josh Sargent is playing really good soccer he was probably okay he was the US's best forward during the World Cup Um, I I don't know that that Josh Sargent is completely out of the conversation in the striker picture and I don't know that if Josh Sargent is healthy he's not the second striker behind Balogun right now so Pepe really has to continue to score goals continue to get playing time um, continue to make the most of his minutes and he's doing it right now so phenomenal game from Pepe. And the last player I really want to talk about is Luca Della Torre. He came in late in the game. Uh, at that point there was a bunch of red cards handed out. Uh, hard to really make any judgments about his his playing in this game. I thought he had some nice moments with the ball, but this is the big test for Luca Della Torre. The game against Canada, Weston McKinney is going to be out with a red card suspension. Presumably Luca Della Torre is going to be able to come in and start this is the game where I, I, I really want to see it from Luca De La Torre. The question I have for him is: What happens whenever he's against a really dynamic team that's that's really pushing in transition? We know what he can do on the ball. What happens if he's under pressure and is and is having to work hard defensively? Canada have some absolute horses. I'm really excited to see what he can do with it. These are the moments where we need it from Luca. I mean, there's been so much conversation about Luca uh, stepping up and being one of the core players on this squad. Being a player that can step into these moments, Tori, I'm really hoping that he can come through. He had a big season in La Liga, uh, so let's see if he can translate that in the game against Canada. Now, that's my thoughts on the game, but of course, the game was not the only big news that we got Thursday. And if you look at social media, it's not even the biggest story from Thursday. The big story was that Greg Berhalter was named as the head coach for the 2026 cycle. And this has been met with a ton of criticism. And and I think a lot of it's very fair. I mean, the optics of hiring the guy that had the big scandal with the Reinas following the World Cup, the optics of um, clearing house with the administrative uh, guys only to hire the guy that was the coach prior, the optics of of spending all this time and and presumably money on on an international coaching search only to end up with the guy who was the coach in the previous cycle. And of course, the optics of hiring a guy that has a known domestic abuse scandal on his record, all that seemed to point to hiring a a different coach for the U.S. Men's National Team moving forward. Uh, But that was not to be. Paul Tenorio has done a lot of great reporting on this story that really goes into detail about the hiring process. It sounded like Patrick Vieira, Jesse March, and Greg Berhalter were the real finalists. Um, And after meeting with the administration, and of course, it's a new administration that Greg Berhalter doesn't know, um, he seemingly won him over and uh, became the head coach of the U.S. Men's National Team. Now, I've said before that I'm not a fan of having two-cycle coaches traditionally that that doesn't seem to go very well. However, I I think just the criticism and the onslaught that's been directed towards Greg Berhalter uh, following his hire has just been wildly overstated. Um, I I think we ventured into... Uh, the land of fiction and narrative and, and we've wandered really far away from reality and I think the reality is as I've said many times before the national team coach just does not have as big an impact on results as we act like it does I mean if you want examples of that I, I think an easy illustration would be Hansi Flick I mean he came into the 2022 World Cup as easily the highest rated coach of any coach in the tournament He had just come off of consecutive, just wonderful years at Bayern Munich, where they just won everything that you could possibly win. He was German coach of the year. He was European coach of the year. Seemed like a no-brainer that he would end up as the German national team coach and be very successful. That's not how it went down. Uh, Germany had a really disappointing World Cup. They got bounced real early, despite having, I think he's the highest paid national team coach in the world, um, and easily has the best resume of any national team coach in the world. But the reality is, a coach, if you're going to get any benefit out of them at all, you need a long stretch of games in order for that coach to really have an impact um, on wins and losses and the bottom line. In international soccer, that's rarely the case. You have these tight tournaments with knockout rounds where everything comes down to these couple of games. And if you have a not so good stretch, which every team, every soccer team that's ever existed has a not so good stretch, games where things just don't go according to plan, games where the better team doesn't win, games where the bounces don't go your way, games where you have a ton of possession and a ton of shots, but they just don't go in the back of the net, um, and you lose those games, and that's what happened to Germany in the World Cup, and that's what can happen. Conversely, you can have a team that um, is not very good but goes on a run, the opposition is unable to score goals, and um, you're able to to squeak by. I think that's what happened with Morocco, uh, throughout the world cup and and that's international soccer. It's just the the reality of what it is. So I don't think that you know if you if you line up Vieira, Marsh and Burhalter, I just don't see a, a whole lot of difference between those three coaches as far as uh, what we're really getting uh, from the bottom line of wins and losses between any of those guys. i it's it's all gonna come down to the quality of the players at your disposal. And I think prior to hiring Burhalter, Looking at the 2026 World Cup and even looking at the 2022 World Cup, the U.S. was good enough to make the round of 16, but isn't really a top eight team in the world. I have a feeling that when 2026 rolls around, the U.S. will be able to make the round of 16, but won't have the talent of a top eight team in the world. So we're going to need a lot of luck. We're going to need bounces to go our way. If the bounces go our way, we we can exceed the ability of the squad. We can exceed the talent of the squad. But if the bounces don't go our way, we won't, regardless of who the coach is. If it's Pep Guardiola, if it's Bill Belichick, if it's Vince Lombardi, like whoever you want the coach to be, it's going to come down to those bounces. It's gonna, and it's going to come down to the quality of the players that you have on the field. I really feel like there, there were some really unrealistic expectations in the U.S. Men's National Team coaching search. I mean, the, guy, the coaches out there who were genuinely world-class coaches don't want to coach the U.S. Men's National Team. They don't want to accept the demotion and they don't want to accept the uh, budgetary restrictions of the U.S. men's national team. There's not a lot of coaches at the level that uh, that you would consider world class or top level coaches, elite coaches, whatever, that were ever going to be interested in the U.S. men's national team coaching job. And even if they were, I just don't know how much those coaches are able to lift this group past the level of the uh, of the talent that they have on the field. As I said before, uh, I mean these these World Cup games are, are knockout games. This is a short sample size, a short window where so much variance can occur. Um, things like red cards and penalties and just crazy bounces that happen in soccer can. I, I really don't like the argument that there's some coach out there that's going to take this team and make it so much greater than the sum of its parts uh, consistently. That's just that's just not something that we deserve. In the world of soccer and certainly not something that would have been in the realm of possibility for the u.s i mean those coaches at that level are not interested in this job so we end up with greg berhalter again and i i think it's fine i think he was fine as the coach in the last cycle i think Vieira would have been fine i think marsh would have been fine um i I don't think that any of those are are guys that are just going to take us to the next level or anything like that Um, and, and i'm excited about this team moving forward not because of the coach or the system or the tactics or anything like that, but just because the quality of of the players is getting better. And there's some opportunity to add some more players that are going to raise the quality of this group. There's players who are injured right now who are going to return to health that are going to raise the quality of this group. And we've got a ton of young players that are um, in various positions throughout Europe, throughout MLS, that had the opportunity to uh, really rise up and impact this group moving forward. I, I think the the U.S. men's national team just continues to get better and better. Whether that means we're going to become a quarterfinal team or not, I, I don't think that that's realistic in the next few years. But I, I think looking at the 2030 World Cup or looking at the 2034 World Cup, that's whenever we really can start looking at moving into that next echelon of uh, of international competition. I don't think that it's gonna happen in this cycle regardless. So that's my thoughts on an absolute whirlwind of a Thursday evening. Greg Berhalter is back. The U.S. absolutely skull drug Mexico. Balagun is on the field. Pepe is scoring goals. Reyna is on the field in the midfield. I mean, there's there's just a lot of exciting things happening. This squad looks so damn good. I'm excited to see. This cycle is going to be so much damn fun. I, I just can't wait to see these guys um, against Canada on Sunday night. It's going to be so much fun. Guys, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about the, the Berhalter hire. So much to comment on. So let me know what you think in the comment section. As always, if you want the Anchorport and podcast form, you can find it anywhere that you get your podcast. Thank you so much for liking and subscribing and continuing to support the channel. If you want to support the channel directly, you can do so by, by becoming a member. Shout out to my tier two members, Manuel Olivares, Matthew Doyle, Matthew Hanna, Michael Baker, Dan McVeigh, Mike Irish, Aaron M., Expats Everywhere, and Aaron Silva. Guys, thank you so much for watching. My name is Ms. Sam, and this is The Anchor Report brought to you by Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.